right? Isaiah 32, and let's look at verse 15 and read down through verse 17. The Bible says, Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. We're going to look at Isaiah 32 in detail tonight. And um, uh, the title of the, the, the Bible study is this, What Revival Looks Like. I don't know about you, but I want God to send revival to my heart. And I want God to send revival to our church. And I want God to send revival to this country and to this world. I hear people say that the U.S. of A. is a lost cause and that there's a, we've reached the point of no return. That might be true. That might be true. But I know this, that every hundred years since the Europeans began settling this continent, there has been a spiritual awakening. and We are right at about a hundred years since the last one happened. And listen, uh, some people look at how dark our world has gotten with sin and they want to throw up their hands and give up. But I say, the darker the night, the brighter the light. And I think it's not time for Christians to acquiesce and give in. I think it's time for Christians to stand up and preach the truth and live the truth and watch God bring a great change through us. Amen? What revival looks like. We're going to look at this in Isaiah 32 this evening. Some of this has already come true in prophecy. Some of it's yet to come true. Uh, but we're going to dive in verse by verse and go through the chapter and work our way to 15 and on down to the end of the chapter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this place and this time. And Lord, the people that are gathered here this evening, there will never be this group exactly gathered like this probably ever again. And so, God, you've assembled us for a specific time and for a specific purpose. Work in our hearts this evening, and Lord, help us to draw near to you. Lord, help us to wipe away the, the, the grime and dirt that keeps the light of truth shining. And Lord, may we leave here tonight with our light uh, shining brighter, our bulb burning stronger, and Lord, our gospel message louder. Lord, spark a revival in this area through this church. And begin that in each one of our hearts individually. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, in um, Isaiah, we're in a, a section of the book of Isaiah where there are, I believe it's seven woes given. And the last woe we find in chapter 33. The first word in chapter 33 is the word woe. And um, we've looked at, uh, let's see, two weeks ago, but prior to the missions conference, we looked at chapter number 31, and we talked about woe to them that go down to Egypt. And we said that typically when someone goes down to Egypt in the Bible, that is a bad thing. That is not good. You're going back into the bondage of sin and uh, you're acquiescing back to the culture of sinfulness that nailed Jesus to the cross that you were rescued from. And we've been given, as we sang at the beginning of the service, victory 
in Jesus. And we don't need to go back and live in bondage when we've been given victory. And chapter 32 continues the thought of chapter 31 and uh, tells us uh, that there will be, there will come a day where we have victory forever through Christ. And so let's jump right in to the outline this evening and let's see the narrative build toward revival. Number one, notice the reign of Christ. The reign of Christ. Uh, let's see here. Now let me give you an A, B, and a C below number one. And notice letter A, notice a shelter provided, a shelter provided. And I believe the first eight verses to be talking about the millennial reign of Christ. One day Jesus will set up and he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem. That theme is found all throughout uh, the major minor prophets, but we're looking specifically at the book of Isaiah, verse by verse. And uh, as we have seen through the first 32 chapters of the book of Isaiah, the millennial reign of Christ is repeated over and over and over again. In fact, this is the great hope that Israel has, is that one day uh, Israeli dominance will be uh, back in place. Jesus Christ will be the king. He'll sit on David's throne. David will be his his vice president, if you will. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And verse 1 through 8 highlight that for us. A shelter provided. Look at verse number 1 and verse number 2. The Bible says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. We know that the tribulation saints and the church age saints will rule with Jesus and reign with Jesus as princes. Look at verse 2. And a man shall be as an hiding place. Here's the shelter, a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And so uh, prior to the millennial reign of Christ, the Jews will be under great terror from the Satan and the Antichrist and the beast and, uh, and the false prophet. Uh, there will be great terror. And Jesus will come down from the clouds and uh, usher in the second uh, kingdom. The second coming of Christ will usher that in as He saves the Jews from peril and they'll go from being in a time of peril uh, to a time of great victory, and Jesus will be the shelter uh, that protects them uh, from all of the in, all of their enemies. A shelter provided. Turn over to Psalm chapter ninety-one, if you will. Psalm ninety-one in your Bibles, and uh, uh, the psalmist here so uh, beautifully, poetically lays out for us how that God is a shelter to those who are in a time. Of trouble, and we look ahead at a time where King Jesus brings peace to the earth through the millennial reign. But we know that Jesus can bring bring peace to your storm right now. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever hurt it is that you are enduring, Jesus Christ desires to be uh, that that shelter, that refuge, that rock beneath your feet. Look at verse number one: He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow 
that flieth by day. I love to look at this passage in light of Ephesians 6, the, ar- the battle that we're in, and how the, the wiles or the fiery darts of the wicked, the, the devil, are being uh, uh, shot at us. And listen, uh, we can know that there's a war going on around us and yet still be at perfect peace because we're inside the fortress of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that we're hiding beneath uh, the shadow, the wings of the Almighty, just as a, a hen that hides her, her brew, her, her young ones, and, 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 and protects them from the storm. When the storms of life rage around us, we have a shelter. We have a hiding place. We have a comforter that, that, that can bring about that calm. Uh, listen, it's a good day for you when you quit wringing your hands over the circumstances in your life and understand that God is sovereign and reigns supreme. That God does not allow any, any struggle and hurt in your life that He hasn't signed off on first. No matter what it is. Listen, there is no struggle in your life that God did not already know about and God did not permit for you. And here we are trying to work it out here and work it out there. And, and, and we're fighting over here and, and, we're, and we're emotionally spent over there. And, and God says, hold on here. You need to pray as though it all depends on me while you work as though it all depends on you. But listen, as believers, oftentimes what happens is we work without praying. We work without praying. And God says, listen, I am a shelter. I am the rock beneath your feet. Uh, we live in a world that's constantly changing. Morality changes. Um, uh, cultural trends change. And, and there's problems everywhere we turn. Um, if you're finding your acceptance based on others, uh, listen, others change all the time. But the Lord never changes. The Lord never changes. And that is a rock beneath your feet. That is a refuge for your soul, the reign of Christ. One day, this will be realized here on earth when Jesus Christ, King Jesus, rules supreme, a shelter will be provided, but we see letter B, His servants protected. His servants protected. Look back at Isaiah chapter 32 and look at verse number 3 and look at verse number 4. Look here. The Bible says, "...and the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. The hearts also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly, plainly." Listen, uh, there's going to be a day where uh, uh, those who see will see more clear than they've ever seen. And those that hear will hear beyond just words. They'll understand deeply. They'll have a deeper knowledge of of truth. Those who stammer when they speak, uh, they'll be able to speak plainly. And God will take those who trust in Him, His servants, and He'll help them to see and understand more clearly. Listen, here is the key to understanding the truth here about the reign of Christ. Those who walk by faith will have a clear and better perception and understanding of God and His kingdom than ever before. Those who walk by faith, those who live by faith. Let me give you a couple of verses in the New Testament to illustrate what I'm talking about. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27. Hebrews 11 and verse 27. And we have an Old Testament example laid out in the New Testament about this idea of seeing clearly through the lens of faith and being able to discern clearly through the lens of faith. While you're turning over to Hebrews 11, 27, Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
they shall see God. How do you see a God that is immaterial to, to our eyes, that is invisible to our eyes, by a pure heart? How do you have a pure heart? How do you have a pure heart? How do you have a pure heart when your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked? The only way you can have a pure heart is by yielding to the Holy Spirit. When you yield to the Holy Spirit, then guess what? You conquer sin and you live victorious and your heart becomes pure. And as your heart becomes pure, you can see God more and more and more clearly. How many of you here have ever had contact with someone who claimed to be atheist or agnostic and argued that God cannot be seen or felt or understood? Have you ever dealt with someone like that. Boy, I, I've, I've seen my share of those. And I remember one time I sat with a guy and I was sitting in a restaurant and I was talking to him and, and he said, how can you know that there's a God that you've never seen? And about that time, it was a snowy day here in Connecticut. I was actually in New Haven in the building across the road. The wind blew real hard and blew snow off the top of the roof. And I pointed over to the snow coming off the roof and I said to the man, I said, um, can you see the wind? And he said, no. I said, well, you can see the evidence of the wind, can't you? Now listen, the more pure your heart is toward God, you, can, you may not see God, but you can see the evidences of Him at work. And you know what? As you purify that heart, you begin to discern and see and hear more clear, clearly. I would take a simple-minded Christian who has an IQ that's below average, whose nose is buried in the Bible, who is reading and studying and memorizing and understanding. I would well prefer that person over some graduate uh, summa cum laude at Yale University or some other Ivy League college. Listen, the, the, the wisdom that comes from walking with God and walking by faith is far superior than any intellect that any man can have. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 27. Speaking of Moses, the Bible says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. Look here. As seeing him who is invisible. As seeing him who is invisible. Uh, here you have Moses raised in the palace of, of Pharaoh, right? Had the world by the tail. Had every material good he could have ever desired. He had everything uh, materialistically that could ever be offered, but because his heart was that of a man who walked by faith, he looked past the uh, visible and he saw the invisible God and he said, I'll take the invisible over the visible. One day, those who walk by faith uh, to a God that is invisible, when He is visible, your seeing will be even that much more clear. Your hearing will be that much greater uh, of being able to understand. Those who stammer in their speech will be able to speak clearly. We see God's servants protected. Letter A, His shelter provided. Letter B, His servants protected. Notice letter C, the scoundrels punished. And I'll show you where I get that word scoundrels in a minute. Look at verse number five. And let me give you two thoughts below this. Notice first, they're empty. Speaking of the scoundrels, notice their empty integrity. They're empty integrity. Look at verse five and six of Isaiah 32. The Bible says, the vile person shall be no more called liberal, nor the churl. Now that word churl, I had to look it up. I wish I could tell you I'm so smart. I just read it and knew what it meant. I had no, Janice, do you know what churl means? All right, anybody here just knows the word churl? Okay, I had to look that word up. The word churl means scoundrel. Scoundrel. And uh, that's not just a word I picked because it starts with the letter S. Amen? 
to alliterate my outline. It literally means scoundrel or swindler. Someone who swindles someone out of money. Okay? Look here, churl. Nor the back to verse five. Nor the churl said to be bountiful. So look here, the vile person is called liberal or giving. Uh, the churl is said to be bountiful. Verse six, for the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity, to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord, to make empty the soul of the hungry, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fall. Now look here, we live in a day and time where good is called evil and evil is called good. The Bible predicted this would happen. Anyone who has any spiritual discernment can see that Satan is in charge of this uh, earth and uh, that evil is everywhere. And uh, listen, uh, to the day and age we live, if you are a Bible-toting Christian, you have a bad reputation, right? You don't have good street cred. And if you're a, uh, a person who is not so great according to the Bible and you're living a life of immorality, all of a sudden our culture wants to celebrate you and put you on a pedestal and make you out to be something great. Um, I, I know that we've had a couple of award shows on TV for music and movies, and listen, I don't watch them, and I don't think you should watch them. But can I tell you uh, uh, what's going on in these award shows is that they have their own immoral agenda that they're celebrating as morality. And it's wicked. It's wrong. Because why? The vile is being called liberal or, or giving, and uh, the scoundrel is being called a good guy. And what's going on here is that they have a reputation of good integrity, but their character is flawed and falling apart. They practice hypocrisy. They practice hypocrisy. We see that uh, one day this crowd of people who are celebrated are one day going to be punished. When King Jesus reigns supreme, those that are sinful, sin will be called sin, and it will be dealt with as sin, their empty, their empty integrity, but notice also their evil instruments. Their evil instruments. Look at verse 7 and 8. The instruments also of the churl or the scoundrel are evil. He deviseth wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words, even with the needy, speaketh right. Have you ever seen these car dealerships that will give out a loan for a car that's shark-oriented? And um, I knew of a, a, a man who claimed to be a Christian, and uh, he was actually a deacon at a church, and he owned a, a car dealership, and they hit a GPS device on the car. They would give out loans that were high, high interest rates. And after the person defaulted on the loan, they would go and they would tow the car in the middle of the night and resell the vehicle resell the vehicle. This man called himself a Christian. This is what a churl does. This is what a scoundrel does. This is wicked. This is wrong. This is devising ways to take advantage of people. Uh, these are, uh, these are uh, uh, programs that go on that hold people down so they can never climb up and make something of their life. These are governments that put, sometimes these are governments that put these in place. Sometimes this is private corporations that put these things in place. When King Jesus reigns supreme, this will not happen anymore. Evil instruments, people devising wicked so that the rich get richer and the poor are held down and made poor. This is wickedness. This is wrong. 
These are scoundrels. These are swindlers. And when Jesus reigns, this won't happen. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 14. Quickly, Proverbs 6 and look at verse number 14. The Bible over and over and over again, in fact, um, there, I think there are probably half a dozen verses in the Bible, um, somewhere between half a dozen and a dozen verses in the Bible that talk about those that devise wickedness. They, they, they come up with a, a wicked imagination. They, they sit around and think up schemes to take advantage of people. Let's just look at a couple of them here. Proverbs six fourteen. the Bible says, Frowardness is in his heart. He speaketh mischievous, mischief continually. He soweth discord. I don't think that was the verse I was looking for, but uh, that frowardness is in the heart of someone of this nature. Turn over to Micah, Micah chapter 2. And look at verse number 1. Micah. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. All right. Jonah, I believe, is the book right before Micah. I think that's correct. Micah chapter 2. And look at verse number 1. If you can't make your way there quick enough, I'll just read it for you. It says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of of their hand. These are people who lay in bed at night and come up with more ways to steal money and morality from people and then get up in the morning and go forth and do it. This isn't some new thing that just started in a capitalistic society. This has been going on since mankind was sinful. And one day, the scoundrel will be punished. We see the reign of Christ, the shelter provided, his servants protected, the scoundrels punished. Let's look at number two and see the rebuke of the women. The rebuke of the women. Look at up with me at verse 9 through 14 and let's notice three thoughts here. First, letter A, notice their careless attitude. Their careless attitude. Now, I'm not picking on women. The Bible's picking on women. All right? It's, it's, it's geared toward females. So we're just preaching the Bible verse by verse. Ladies, I love you. Amen? Look at verse number 9. And uh, the Bible says, Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice. Look here. Ye careless daughters, give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall ye be troubled. Ye careless women, for the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Now, why is this aimed at women, and why are men seemingly uh, excluded from this? The reason is, is that this is a prophecy that has already come to pass. This prophecy came to pass just a handful of years later when Babylon invaded Israel and carried the men away and left many of the women and children behind. And so this is a prophecy about the women and children left behind in the city that's been burnt to the ground. And so Isaiah is, and this, this prophecy given by Isaiah would come to, come to pass during the time of Jeremiah. We're going to turn over and look at that in just a moment. Book of Lamentations written by Jeremiah. And what is he saying to these women here? He's saying to them, current day, he says, you're careless. You're careless. You just take for granted the goodness in your life. You have men that are providing for you, and you sit back and take it easy, and um, uh, you go and, and draw from the grapes off the vineyard. You just assume they're going to be there, and, and you're, in, you, you're entitled, and uh, you, you, you aren't looking after yourself spiritually. You let yourself go spiritually. Um, you are wayward from the Lord. You're carnal in your heart. You're careless in your heart. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter number 5, and we see this theme 
of women who are careless in their attitude addressed in the New Testament in the book of 1 Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy, telling Pastor Timothy how to handle uh, widows who are widows at a young age and exactly what he is to do uh, with handling widows in the church. And the beginning of 1 Timothy 5 talks about who is a widow indeed and at what age you start taking care of a widow uh, who uh, needs financial aid and assistance. And then Paul turns his attention to younger widows who are uh, causing problems in the church, and how they have a careless attitude. Look at verse Timothy 5, look at verse 11. Paul tells Pastor Timothy, he says, but the younger widows refuse. He means refuse financial aid. Refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. They're careless. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers, also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, if I were to take the time, I could speak on sins that men struggle with. Because men, we have a set of sins that we struggle with. Uh, that women don't normally struggle with. And so I'm not going out of my way to pick on women. I preach pretty hard at the minute at White Oak Baptist Church. But uh, the, Isaiah 32 is addressing uh, the careless attitude of women. And ladies, there are sins that you struggle with that men don't struggle with on the same level. Now, again, sinners are sinners, male and female alike. And uh, men struggle in areas and women have the same struggles. And women struggle in areas and, and you'll find men that have the same struggles. But specifically, I, I t- Paul is addressing with Timothy women who run around and run their mouth. Women that run around and they're tattlers. They're busybodies. They're whisperers. The Bible says that a whisperer separated chief friends. The Bible also says that love covers a multitude of sins. Hey, listen. Just because you have a scoop of dirt on someone does not mean you need to share with anybody. You ought to be the stop sign to gossip. I don't want to hear it. Stop it right there. Do you understand that if someone calls you with gossip or slander and you don't spread it but you listen to it, you have authenticated the person who shared it with you, they're going to walk away thinking you agree with them all because you gave them an ear to listen to it. You ought to be the first one to set up and say, Sister, I love you. I don't want to hear it. And if you have a problem with that person... You go talk to the person, or you go talk to the Lord, otherwise, shut your mouth. I guarantee you something's going to happen. That person's probably going to keep gossiping, but it won't be at you anymore. Somehow, that gossip will just make its way right around you and miss your ears. And if enough people stand up and do that, guess what? Gossip just seems to find its way out of the church. I don't know about you, but I don't want a church to be filled with discord, right? How many of you, when you make a mistake, want everyone else in the church talking about it? Right? I don't. Okay, I don't want everyone running around talking about my mistakes and my shortcomings. I don't think you want that. You say, oh, but you're the pastor. You deserve it. <laughs> well, 
Aren't you glad Pastor Lejeune keeps confidentiality pretty careful? Because I know a whole lot about a whole lot of you. Amen? And I know how to keep my mouth shut. I hope you will learn to do that if you, if you don't already. Their careless attitude. These ladies in, in Isaiah 32, they're just a case of rasara. We're just living life. We're, we're drunk on success. We're, we're having a great time. And, and, and everything's great. And everything will always be great. Be careful with that careless attitude, letter A. We see their careless attitude, letter B. Notice their command to lament. Their command to lament. Look at uh, verse 11 and verse 12, Isaiah 32. He says, Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare and gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the teats, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. I'll explain verse 12 more in just a moment. You know what he's saying in verse 11? He's saying, Lament now, be proactive. Or lament later when destruction has come. Hey, if you'll get on your knees and confess your sin before the wrath of God is dropped, then the wrath of God can be stayed. But if you don't repent now and lament now and take off those royal robes that you wear, the designer clothing you have on, and metaphorically, actually here it was literally put on, it would be metaphorically for us, but metaphorically put on a sackcloth and ash and weep and mourn over sin. You can do it before God punishes or you will do it when God punishes. Lament. Lament. Matthew chapter 5. We looked at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. When was the last time, Christian, man and, and men and women alike, when was the last time, Christian, you got on your knees and shed a tear over your sin? When was the last time you got on your knees and told the Lord, My wickedness is great in my own eyes? Letter C, we see their coming destruction. Their coming destruction. Verse 12 again says, They shall lament for the teats. That means the breasts. For the pleasant field, for the fruitful vine. What does that mean? They're going to lament for their breasts? They're going to weep over their breasts? What's that mean? Look at verse 13. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, and upon all the house of joy in the joyous city, because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left, the forts and towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of wild asses or a, a group of wild asses, a, a pasture of flocks. The city is going to be run over, the palaces are going to become uh, abandoned and forsaken and broken down and burned and, 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 and the fields are going to be filled with th- thistles and thorns and not produce any more fruit. Destruction is coming, the prophet says. Turn over to Lamentations. Lamentations 4, again, Isaiah gives this prophecy and then Jeremiah realizes the prophecy. Jeremiah lived during the fall of Jerusalem under the hands of Babylon. And Jeremiah was carried away into Babylon and then permitted to go home to Jerusalem. And Lamentations is a book where uh, Jeremiah is writing about what he has seen. Look at Lamentations chapter 4. And uh, for brevity, let's look at verse 4. Look here. Here's why the women are weeping over their breasts. Look at verse 4. The tongue of the sucking child cleaveth to the roof of his mouth 
for thirst. The young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. Can you picture a nursing mother trying to give her child milk and there being nothing there because she's so malnourished? She looks down at her own breast as she's trying to feed a child and now she is weeping because she has no milk for her own starving child. Isaiah prophesied it. Jeremiah realized it. Verse 5, They that feed delicately are are, are desolate in the streets. They that were brought up in scarlet embrace dunghills. For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughters of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown in a moment and no hands stayed on her. Her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies. They, uh, their polishing uh, was a sapphire. Their visage is blacker than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaveth to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken together for want of the fruit of the field. Isaiah said, you're going to go reaching for grapes and there won't be anything there. Jeremiah said, they're reaching for grapes and they're not there. Verse 10, the hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. Meaning they have turned to cannibalism because they're so hungry. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughters of my people. The Lord hath accomplished his fury. He hath poured out his fierce anger and hath kindled a fire in Zion and hath devoured the foundations thereof. You see here, you see what's happening back in Isaiah 32. God is saying to the women, he's saying, lose the careless attitude. Yeah, you're rich. Yeah, you wear nice clothing. Yeah, you eat fruit and you think it's in abundance and your palaces are filled and and you enjoy the parades and the pomp and circumstance of a rich life. But one day you're going to weep over a breast that can't feed a child. One day you're going to weep because there's not going to be grapes on the vine. One day you're going to weep because the palace is going to be empty. One day you're going to weep because your city will be destroyed. Weep now or weep later. Lose the careless attitude and they didn't. Because they didn't, sure enough, that prophecy came true. The rebuke of the women. Do you understand that for revival can come, repentance must first come. We will not see revival in this church, this state, this country, until Christians become broken over their sin and turn to the Lord. God wants true repentance. He wants true Mourning over sin. He wants us to turn from a careless attitude and turn to a heart of true worship and submission to the Lord. Number three, we'll get into next week. Amen? I'll give you the um, point and then we'll uh, look at the subpoints next week. The point is the revival of God's kingdom. The revival of God's kingdom. Listen, revival can be felt and in the church age... Now, there is a way we realize it. We're, we're going to look at what revi- true revival looks like. Uh, in, well, it'll be two Wednesday nights. My brother will be preaching next week. But we'll look at that in two Wednesday nights. So uh, look over that. Read those verses 15 down to the end of the chapter. And uh, study that for yourself. Amen.